My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Uh, We're in 3 John today, and in keeping with my uh, so far two weeks tradition of really awful jokes at the beginning of this series. We're going to start today's as well. Uh, so does anybody know uh, who the first John is here? <clears throat> this one's kind of tough. It's not Calvin. Not, not Aquinas. <laughs> His name, uh, th- you should get it from this. His name rhymes with Goose. And Gary insists on pronouncing it incorrectly every time. <laughs> John Hoos. John Hoos, yes. So, uh, famous uh, theologian from several hundred years ago. Uh, all right, so you, you, 0 for 1. All right, let's see if we can get the second one. John Pike, yes. He's, our, he's actually teaching Sunday school at the Chattanooga campus right now. And then, actually, the John that we're going to be talking about today, the Apostle John. So we don't have a good picture of him. We just kind of guess a little bit. But uh, so that's our ha, ha, ha. Yes, I know. It's awesome. I love it. You've got to give me some flexibility here, right? It's okay. All right, so we're in uh, Third John this morning. So if you uh, know where Third John is, that's great. If you don't, find Revelation and then go left, like, two pages, and you'll be there. Or maybe one page, because in some of your Bibles, 3 John and Jude are actually on the same piece of paper. So, um, very, very easy to find. Uh, But we will start uh, by just kind of reviewing where we've been in our schedule. So, two weeks ago, we looked at the first four verses in the greeting to Gaius. Uh, Last week, we really, it was this really positive lesson on Gaius uh, and his generosity. uh, The the things that uh, the Apostle John was uh, commending him for. And then today uh, is really the... I think we're kind of getting to the, where the rubber meets the road. This is what John probably really wanted to talk about. So he wanted to uh, encourage Gaius, but he also wanted to address Diotrephes and encourage Demetrius as well. And this is, uh, this is kind of the, some of the meat of the lesson, so to speak. So I'm going to read through uh, all 14 verses. Now, a couple of your Bibles may actually have 15 verses for Third John. Does anybody have 15? There's a couple different translations that have 15. Anybody? Yours does? Uh, if, if you do have 15, don't, don't panic, uh, because verse 15 in the Bibles that have a verse 15 is just a split of verse 14. Uh, there's just different versification. The versification is my new word that I've learned this week, so who nay, right? That's a, I thought it was made up, and then I Googled it, and then it was like, oh, that's actually a real word, so there's that. So the words are still the same. It's just the verse divisions themselves are a bit different. Uh, all right, so let's read uh, Third John. <clears throat> the elder... To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, You will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We, therefore, ought to receive such, 
that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our, gre- our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Um, I, I usually start a Sunday school lesson by asking, are there any literary or structural observations? And I want to I ask that question, but while you think about that, I want to talk for just a second. You, have you ever heard anybody talk about, oh, how great wouldn't it have been to be part of the early church? To see those early Christians and how they did things and the excitement and the enthusiasm. And boy, wouldn't that have been a lot of fun. And I say, sure, yeah. But they also had a lot of problems, too, which is basically why we have the epistles that we have. And every sin that is called out in those epistles is because it was present in the early church in those early groups of Christians. And we see in this little letter that John writes, we see this guy named Diotrephes, who is this resentful, mean, angry, I would say probably even bitter. And, uh, and it, unfortunately, some things really haven't changed, right? I don't want this to be like a super depressing lesson, but there are still the same human sinful elements that existed when the church began as exist today. So I want you to, I want you to look at how John packages the information, right? So he starts off with the greeting to Gaius, and then he commends Gaius for his generosity, and then he talks about Diotrephes, and then he follows right up with a good example of Demetrius, and then he says, oh, I'm going to come and we're going to talk, and I want you to greet all of our friends. So a tremendous amount of positive encouragement in this lesson, but he didn't forget to address what needed to be addressed. And if you, if you hold to the idea, and I do, that the John that wrote this letter is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, he is many times referred to as the Apostle of Love, right? He is the, the disciple that Jesus loved. And we learn a really neat lesson by looking at how John addresses this, because he doesn't do it in a spiteful way. But where there is behavior that deviates from truth, love engages Like, that is actually what love looks like. It does not allow sin to continue. And it says, I will go in a very specific way, and we'll look at the way that John says he's going to do this, and address things that need to be addressed. So in uh, 219 Greek words, he teaches us a lot about confrontation and a lot about how to approach someone that is in the church, that is openly, blatantly sinning from a a wise perspective. So I I want us to make sure that we have 
that is a, um, a backdrop to what we talk about today. All right, so repeated words. Uh, you know, this is a very direct letter. So this is the same. You're going to see these same blanks every single week. You'll see this next week as well. Uh, so you and your shows up 14 times, very direct. You know, he's writing to Gaius here. This is a, a very clear, uh, direct letter. Uh, it's filled with love. So beloved love and loves shows up seven times. And then the last blank there is truth, because this is what John's going to compare, not just words, but actually deeds to, right? Because we have a standard, so let's not forget that our standard exists. Let's keep going back to our standard. Very, very simple uh, theological points, but he covers a lot of ground in uh, 14 or 15 verses. All right, so let's take a look at what the words mean. So verse 9, I wrote... The Greek word is grapho, which is to, to write. I wrote to the church, to the ecclesia. Uh, <clears throat> but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. So here, here's my first question. Uh, where's the letter that he wrote? Is it First John? Is it Second John? Is it the Gospel of John? Is it what? Anybody know? Well, the interesting thing is that it, it appears that Diotrephes' issue is that he had an issue with John, and he had an issue with these missionaries that we talked about last week that he didn't want to put up, and he was kicking them out, and he was kicking anybody out that had an issue with him kicking them out, right? So these secondary matters. And neither uh, the Gospel of John, First John, or Second John talk anything about any of that. So we don't think that we have this letter. So I want, to, I, want to, I want to put something in your mind for just a second. Not every word that every gospel or New Testament or Old Testament writer ever wrote was canon, was part of the actual Bible. Some were, some weren't. And the process to figure that out is this whole other lesson. But uh, we actually see this as well in Corinthians because we're pretty confident Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians because he references in the first one a letter that he already wrote, and he references in the second one a letter that's not the same as the letter he referenced in the first one, but it's not 1 Corinthians either. either. So we, we're pretty sure we've got about four letters there, and we don't have all of them. But the good thing is that we have what we need, which is very, very helpful, and we can trust that because this covers exactly what we need. So I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes. Now, do, does your handout have anything after the word Diotrephes there? <clears throat> what does it say? It looks like love nourished, doesn't it? It's actually Jove nourished. Uh, the, you see the little hook on the J. The specific font here doesn't work well with an open bracket and a capital J. It's, it's, it's Jove nourished. Now, here's my question to you. Uh, those of you that paid attention in Greek mythology, uh, <clears throat> who the heck is Jove, right? Anybody know? Jupiter, yes. How'd you know that? Is it not? What's that? Ah, there you go. Excellent. I, I'm sorry. I thought it came from my daughter, and I was like, wait, what? Excellent. I didn't know that she was into Greek myths, so I just needed to check on that. So who was, uh, who was Jupiter? Jupiter was the, the, the supreme of the Greek gods. This is the top of the food chain. If you think about the top of the food chain from the Roman gods, that was Zeus. So very similar concept. So this was, um, 
So if, you, if, you're, if you're a Christian, right, and you have a name that means top of the food chain of another god nourished, what does that tell everybody about your background? Say it again. Yeah, right. Your, your parents were probably pagans if they named you after a different god, right? So, Lynn, you, you have two daughters, correct? All right. All right. Do either one of their names contain the word Baal? No. Why? Because you, you don't worship Baal, right? We wouldn't kind of bake that in and say, yay, we're all about Baal. No. Like, what are you? That, that's craziness, right? We, what we name our children many times reflects what we believe, right? Or certainly we'd want to protect it from aligning with what we wouldn't believe. Um, I, I ran across somebody this past week, uh, and her name was Delilah. And I, I thought, like, it's important to have some context around what the names in the Bible. Like, you, you, your, your parents picked a Bible name. Yes, you, they picked a Bible name. But it might have been helpful to read the story around Delilah to know which way we're going here, right? So his name is Jove Nourish. So this would be in a, someone who certainly, we, I think is a safe assumption to believe, did not have Christian parents, right? So a background of paganism. Now, I want you to scroll down. Uh, scroll down. I want you to... Uh, I'm scrolling. You don't have to scroll. Uh, look at verse 12. It's probably on the, like the third page of your handout. Uh, the very beginning of verse 12 is Demetrius. Now, Demetrius is the positive example in today's lesson. So I want to I cover this real quick. His name means belonging to Demeter. D-E-M-E-T-E-R. It's, it's like a French way of saying uh, yard. Demeter, right? Sorry. That's really bad. I thought you'd enjoy that, Dave. Sorry. It's the... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's okay. He who laughs last thinks slowest. It's all right. The, uh, this is the goddess of agriculture. So, so Diotrephes has a pagan background. What do we think about Demetrius' background? Same, right? He grew up in pagan homes. So, so what I want to make sure you're not hearing me say is that your spirituality or your relationship with God is determined by your background because it is not. Both these guys started from a pagan beginning. And this is one of the reasons that I love the genealogies in the Old Testament because you can have these really godly kings who have a completely ungodly son. And it shows that your, your parents don't necessarily dictate your outcome. And you can have a really godly king who can have a really godly son, and that's, that's okay as well. And you can have an ungodly king who can have an ungodly son and an ungodly king who can have a godly son. Your, your parents don't dictate your relationship with God. This was one of the great concepts in the Great Awakening early in our country, which the, the statement that went around the country was God has no grandchildren, right? Your relationship with God is not dictated by generations past. It's, gener it's dictated by you and your choices. So Demetrius and Diotrephes have a very similar pagan background. And if, if you're in class today or if you're listening to this online 
and you have a pagan background, I would say that um, that doesn't dictate your future, which is great. So praise the Lord for that, right? This is a good thing. So back to verse 9, <clears throat> Diotrephes, who, and, and here's the word I really want to focus on quite a bit today, who, uh, philoproteon, who loves to have the preeminence. Do you see the, the Greek word there, the philoproteon? If you look at the P-H-I-L-O, that's the, basically the Greek word for brotherly love, and uh, proteon, this is where we would get our English word proton, this is the first or the most primary. So this is somebody who is fond, here's your blank, here's fond of being first, right? He's fond of being first. And the, the challenge here is that, that we, as part of the body of Christ, are not called to be first. Somebody already has that position, right? And it is not me, <laughs> and it is not you. It is Jesus, right? This is the really shockingly simple concept here. This is Colossians 1.8, right? Um, that in all things Christ should have the supremacy, the proteon. The, that is what his position is. Uh, so Dotrophes loves to have the preeminence where? What does the text say? Among the, who's them? The church, right? So he wants to be first in the church. Does this still exist today? Yes, it sure does. All right. What would we call this today? Like if somebody who wants to be first, do we have a word for this in our language? Ambition is what I would call it. He's very ambitious. I thought this was a really cute picture. Uh, so, so I want to be first. I want to be a, and you're like, yay, I go ahead, right? Um, and it's really sad because when I decide to take a position that rightfully belongs to Jesus, there will not be peace. Right? There's guaranteed conflict. Uh, a guy that I sit next to at work is re retired on Friday. He, he'd been, he's been working for the government for 42 years, and he's one of the most brilliant strategists I have ever met in my entire life. He builds models and frameworks, and it's just, it's truly unbelievable what he is able to do. And uh, he hates the spotlight, and it's one of the reasons I love him, is that he is literally one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. And he, he said, Jim, I've, I've built this thing, but I don't want to go talk about it. I'd like to explain it to you to have you go talk about it. Like, well, well Bill, if people are going to think that I built it, well, that's okay. I'm okay with that. I, I just, I'd, I'd rather you go do the talking about it. Okay, but I'm going to send them to you when they have questions that I don't understand about it. So just so we're all on the same page here, right? Um, but just no desire to be first. And when we work with people like this, they are incredibly easy to work with, right? Like these are the dream employees. These are the dream bosses who don't say, I'm going to steal an idea and make it mine and pass it off as mine. These are the, no, no, I, I have no desire to be first. Um, but this preeminence, he loves to have the preeminence among them. And, and this is, quite frankly, something that I've been wrestling with for about a month now, reading through Third John over and over and over, is where in my life 
do I love to have the preeminence? And I, I typically find when I get my feelings hurt, it's, well, that's because I wanted to be first in this space, right? Um, so this little verse right here has been uh, beating the crap out of me as your Sunday school teacher for about a month now. So I, I'm glad to finally get to talk about it. It is cathartic today for me, so uh, this is good. But this philoprotein, this, this loving to have the preeminence is a dangerous thing, especially inside the body. So what does he do? He does not receive us. So who's the us? Who's that? John, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and John and the missionaries. So, so John was a what? He was an apostle. And this is the period of apostolic authority where Jesus Christ gave to the apostles the authority to protect and preserve and defend and articulate the gospel, right? And, and this is at the very, very end of that period. I mean, like John was the last one left on earth who had this authority. Now think about how you could have abused that, right? I heard it from Jesus himself that he gave me the authority to do this. You will listen to me. Ooh, boy, is that an opportunity for abuse? Big-time opportunity for abuse. And what was John's message? Love, 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 love. It's a beautiful display of I had an opportunity that I did not take, right? But he also protected the importance of the gospel and how the gospel looks when it's lived out inside the church, which I think is fantastic. So he does not receive us. Um, I've read probably 20 different commentaries on 3 John. The great thing about the 3 John commentaries is they're super short. They're like six pages long. It's fantastic. Uh, and A.T. Robertson wrote this. He said some 40 years, he wrote this in, uh, he would have written this in the early 80s. He said some 40 years ago, I wrote an article on diatrophies for a denominational paper. The editor told me that 25 deacons stopped the paper to show their resentment against being personally attacked in the paper. It does, doesn't it? It really does. I thought, this is just fantastic. This is just fantastic. Um, <clears throat> all right, so verse 10. Therefore, so Dia, this is uh, through this, if I come, and this is a subjunctive uh, mood here for the word come, so this is the possibility. So if I come, I will call to mind. Now, what does your English translation say for this phrase, I will call to mind? What did, do you have something different as far as English words? I will bring up. Good. Yep. Mention. Yep. Call to attention. Good. Does anybody have anything sterner than that? They really shouldn't, because here's your blank. It's to remind quietly. That's what it... <clears throat> it's not what you want to do, though, is it? Because what do we want to do? Well, we want to drag him up on stage, and we want to berate him in front of every... And that's not... Love is going to act, but love doesn't have to be a jerk when it acts. Right? And that's a... <laughs> you talk about uh, saying no to the flesh. Like, the word that he specifically chose here is a... 
I'm going to put down what my carnal nature really wants to do. So I'm going to call to mind. I'm going to remind quietly. I'm going to suggest. I'm going to put it in his memory. His deeds, his ergon. Uh, This word is the beginning of our English word ergonomics. And that's the study of your work environment. Um, Most of you know that I have a bad back. And I recently at work had an ergonomic analysis of my cubicle. Right? So somebody came in and they asked me how tall I was and they asked me where I hurt and they said, asked me these different questions and they measured different things and they came in and they, they made modifications to my cubicle because this is where I work so that my back won't hurt as badly. And it, it doesn't now, which is fantastic. They've done some, I stand up an obnoxious amount of the day now, uh, but it, shockingly this, this helps things. I, I would not have thought this. I would have thought lying down would have helped, but actually stand, <laughs> Shanda, she's like, no, no, that's not how this works, right? <laughs> The conundrum of physical therapy. Uh, But he's calling to mind his deeds. Now, in some sense of the word, the words that you say are part of the work that you are doing, but the literal word here is his actions, right? So he's really technically not calling him to carpet for what he's saying. He's calling him to carpet for what he's actually doing. Now, the interesting thing is that what he's saying and what he's doing line up perfectly. Right? So he's saying things negatively, like, I'm not going to accept the authority of John. And he's saying things like, I'm not going to accept these missionaries. And he's doing things like throwing people out of the church. Well, those all line up very well. Right? So I'm going to call to his mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us. Now, I don't know the last time that I used the word prating. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, do you have a, a different word in your... Uh, English translation. This is one of the weaknesses, I think, of the New King James, is that it, will, it holds on to some of these older words that really aren't in our vernacular anymore, as I use the word vernacular, right? That's, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm going to stop there. What, what was that? Gossiping maliciously, yes. That's a, that's a really good, that's a really good uh, definition here. Now, uh, I want us to understand something that, that the, uh, the mood here matters because this is the present active participle. And I told you a couple weeks ago, whenever you see a present participle, this is repeatedly. So that's your blank, is repeatedly. This is not a, well, you know, he, he, he talked about us once and I'm going to write a letter to the church and, you know, call him out. Well, maybe, right? But this is over and over and over and we have a behavior of malicious words, right? Of evil, of hurtful, of culpable words. So then, and, so we're not done, but wait, there's more. And not content. And this is another present passive participle. So repeatedly is not content. And the words means uh, to be enough. So repeatedly is not content. This is not enough. All right, so I'm going to talk about something real quick. Um, some of you are wondering, like, what the heck is the dinosaur doing here? All right, this is, this is uh, Diotrephes, the dinosaur. <laughs> and um, so when we had our 10-year Sunday school party, I told you all about a dinosaur that I saw at Party City that I said I had to have for our party. 
And Julie said, no, it was too big and obnoxious. We could not have that in the room. It's pretty close. It's, uh, it's like the message translation of what you said. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a loose paraphrase. It's, it's directionally correct. Right, Lynn? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Now, what she technically... Yeah, what she technically said is it wouldn't fit in the vehicle, right? Which might have been true, but it really wasn't because I, I proved it not to be true when I brought it home for her. Uh, <laughs> did I bring it home for you? All right, so, so how, did this, how did this make it to our house? For my birthday, for my 42nd birthday, I come home, open the door, walk down the hallway, and there is Thaddeus the T-Rex, right? This is what the kids have named it, Thaddeus. It's actually Diotrephes, but that's okay. Um, and, and when Diotrephes, when I first saw him, he stood much taller. Legs were fleshed out. Everything was strong. Like, just, like, this is awesome. Also did not have birthday princess. This is something I got for her birthday, which was the next day. So we strung it around Diotrephes' neck. And away we went. Uh, but y- you know what happens to helium-filled things over time, they slowly deflate because we do not build our lives on helium, <laughs> right? You can go get it refilled. And, you know, I am, I am so dangerously close to thinking about that. It would have, however, ruined the example that I'm using today. So, um, so, so here's what happens. If, if Diotrephes had been successful and had not been confronted, because I'm convinced that somebody confronted him eventually because <laughs> he wasn't successful, and it continued to throw people out of the church that were spreading the gospel, what is eventually going to happen to the church? It's going to die. It's going to look like this, right? Because anything that is misaligned with the truth of Scripture will not prevail. And it is a wonderful truth that it just can't prevail because God's will and God's will alone will be done. So when we experience these scary, loud diatrophies, just know we are to confront, we are to engage in love and know that Jesus will win and that if Diotrephes refuses to change, eventually the air will be let out and we will deal with this. So I think this is a beautiful example of Diotrephes. But anyway, uh, now I'm going to move him back here because he's, he moves a lot now. Um, we had him sitting on this side before Sunday school started and he got sucked up into the vent. <laughs> I snorted. <laughs> it, was, it was really weird looking. So um, There we go. All right. So the... Uh, so, and not content. He's not repeatedly content with that, that he himself does not receive the brethren. So these are the folks that were traveling. He doesn't receive the missionaries and forbids those who wish to. Now, this is a dangerous place to be because now I am judging a believer based on who they will associate with or not associate with. 
You see where I'm going with this? This is really, really dangerous ground. I want to read you something here. Um, <clears throat> Ray Steadman wrote this. He said, Diotrephes also puts people out of the church who would have taken these men in. He indulges in what we would call today secondary separation. He not only objected to the men who came, but he also objected to those who would have received them. Because of this tendency to refuse fellowship to someone who likes someone you do not like, a wide divisiveness has come into the church, doing injury and harm beyond recall. Now let's see what John's counsel is in this situation. Notice he does not advise Gaius to organize a split away from the church. Rather, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. If you see somebody who is always jockeying for position in Christian relationships, do not follow him. He is following his own way and not that of God. Pretty direct words here, right? And this is something that, that the longer you are in Christianity, the more that you will see of this. Well, I don't associate with them because they associate with this, and they associate, well, it, it, eventually, if you follow that logic all the way out, you won't talk to anybody because, <laughs> hi, I'm a sinner. And you can find a reason to exclude and evict and say, and, it, and it's just not going to be helpful for the gospel. All right, so let me show you one more word. So he says he does not receive the brethren and forbids or stops or hinders those who wish to, putting them out. So this word putting is to, it literally means your blanket here is to eject. And I know I'm jumping around the handout today. Sorry about that. Uh, but you can go to OurSundaySchool.com and get the blanks and they're all there. Don't worry. But it literally means to eject them out of the church. So, so, so a couple of things are happening. One, Diotrephes feels he has the authority to do this. And two, he is actually doing it. Um, so we're not sure if he was a, uh, in a position of leadership or just felt like he was in a position of leadership, but he was doing harm uh, to this uh, congregation. And then we come to verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate. And we finally get to an imperative, which is, you know, it's like, yay, we have a command here. Uh, me and my checklist-loving self. I want an, a checklist. He's giving me a checklist. So do not imitate what is evil or worthless or depraved, but what is good. Now, th this next sentence is really, I think, confusing in English. So I'm just going to read it in English. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. And if, if you just take that for face value, you can be very unsure of your salvation in about two seconds flat. Right? Well, I've, I've done evil. So have I not seen God? But I've, I've done good. So, like, mm, where are we going here? Right? All right, let's, let's talk about this. So he who does good, present active participle, he repeatedly does good. This is the behavior. This is the pattern. This is the norm, right? He repeatedly does good, is of God. But he who does evil, present active participle, repeatedly does evil, has not seen God. Like, oh, okay. So if I look at the pattern of my life, and I see the pattern of my life is good works, this is an indication that there is a relationship present. If I look at the pattern of my life and I see that there are evil works, this is an indication that there is not a relationship. Right? So just really, really clear. And I love how John makes this very simple. It's a, just a clean, clear uh, theology here. And we come to verse 12. 
Demetrius, his name means belonging to Demeter, has a good testimony, has a good materia, has a good witness or a uh, verbal testimony from all, which, like, that's a big statement because John would have probably known just about all the Christian congregations, right? I mean, the, the oldest believers at a church know everybody because they've been around longer than everybody. And he, he's probably seen generations of believers. He says he has good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And this, I think, is the highest compliment that can be paid. I have put the scripture next to his life and this matches. My grandfather would say that dog will hunt. <clears throat> this is beautiful. And, so he's not done, we also bear witness, we also martyrio, and you know, you have this, uh, this perfect this, uh, past tense sense that the, our testimony, our martyria, our evidence giving is true. Which is a beautiful thing, right? So it's truth, it's truth, it's truth, it's truth, it's truth. So let's look at some of the applications. All right, so a couple applications here. Number one, some in the church will be ambitious, uh, those like diatrophies. So what do we do with that? Uh, well, I would say, number one, uh, rebuke the ambitious. You could put exhort in there if you wanted as well, but I'd say rebuke. Uh, number two, some in the church will be marginalized. So think about the perspective of Third John from those brothers and sisters that had been kicked out. They would have heard about this letter and have rejoiced that somebody was going to speak up for those that had been marginalized here. This is good and right to do. So what do we do with that? Uh, we should listen to the marginalized. When we have those amongst us who are raising issues and concerns, perhaps we should open our ears to their concerns so that we do not run into issues like we are reading about in the paper this week for the Southern Baptist Convention. And I don't know that I can be any more blunt than that. It is ugly. It has been decades of uh, abuse and neglect and inappropriateness. And things are coming to light as all things do. So how about we listen to the marginalized? Uh, number three, some of the church will be faithful, which is fantastic and encouraging. So what do we do with those? We encourage the faithful. Because the focus of this little slide is the fish that's out here. But I don't want to be the fish that's out of water. <laughs> I want to be the little fish that's back over here, right? I want to be faithful. I want to stick around planted. I want to do what God's called me to do. Just be a fish, right? Okay. But the amazing thing is that fish is doing what God created it to do right there. That fish is being, bringing glory to God. This fish is probably going to die soon. <laughs> this is not where fish belong. You should not be jumping from one container to the next, right? This is not going to work well. So encourage the faithful. And then application number four, repeated action reveals. Repeated action reveals. So compare behavior with what? The truth. That's right. Compare behavior with the truth. All right. So those of you that know me and have been in this class a long time know that today is a bit more plain speaking than I typically am. Uh, and if you have questions about anything I've said today, I'd love to 
talk to you afterward and kind of walk us through some specific things. Um, but from time to time, I feel like it is appropriate to use this particular platform to speak very clearly and very plainly into situations that uh, you might get asked about at your workplace. And I think it is helpful for us to do so. So uh, with that, that's our Sunday School lesson for today. Your weekly update is on your table. Uh, I printed these off this morning, and I accidentally printed them in black and white. And then I said, oh, no, I can't do that, because I described this thing as the piece of paper with a blue stripe across the top. So it's the blue stripe across the top. That's the piece of paper. Uh, if you'll make sure your name is at the bottom of that, we'll take attendance. And then any prayer requests that you have, list those on the left. Uh, make any changes or updates to the prayer requests on the right. And then after you have prayed as a table, uh, you are dismissed. And thanks for coming to Sunday School today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.